welcome you today. It's good to have you here at Portico, and uh, welcome to our to our family here, our gathering. And we want to just remind everybody, you know, we are meeting here, but uh, we're one church, one message, but many expressions. And so we have some that are watching in our video cafe this morning, other uh, venues and, and campuses that will be happening today. So it's great to be a part of God's family together here at Portico. I want you to take out your Bibles, and we're going to turn to Romans. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. If you need to borrow a Bible today, our ushers are ready to help with that. You can borrow one of ours. Just lift your hand up nice and high. And one of our ushers will bring you a Bible, and we can uh, then follow along. You can leave it on the seat when you're finished. I love that Snickers commercial. The byline is, you're not you when you're hungry. Can anybody relate to that? Anybody relate to that? Yeah, some of us can. And I say some of us because... For me, it's not always, you know, lack of energy that is the sign or the signal that I'm hungry. There can also be other signs as well. My wife knows when it's been too long since I've had something to eat. I think they call it hangry. Uh, I get a little edgy. I get a little cranky, I'm told, that, uh, you know, I, I, can, I can kind of feel just a little bit on edge because of not having some food. And so, you know, I think, that, I think that crankiness might be overstated a little, but anyhow, there is a definite difference before as compared to after I have had something to eat. Because usually, once I've had something to eat, I turn right back into my normally sweet self. Well, we've all seen before and after pictures, haven't we? So I don't need to show you any. You've either seen the TV show, The Biggest Loser, or maybe you've seen Extreme Home Makeover, you know, when they say, move that bus, and and you see the big difference from the before to the after. And we want to just think about that a little bit today. It can be quite dramatic and impressive to realize the transformation that has taken place. Maybe you have your own personal transformation story, before and after story. I remember... And I don't want to, you know, make this about me today, but, but I do remember before Christmas, uh, at some point when I was preaching, making a little bit of fun of, you know, exercise and some of those kind of things, the fact that I don't, that I don't run, the only, the only reason that I run is if I'm being chased, right? You've heard me say these things. And I actually remember saying that, uh, you know, when you don't exercise, there's definitely, there's definitely some impact to that. And I remember turning sort of sideways to give you a profile shot, you know, of the big stomach and the whole thing. Well, I'm happy to report that that was before, and this is after. Uh, Some of you have noticed and come and talk to me a little bit, but but that was 25 pounds ago, and uh, I'm happy to report that that the after feels much better. Exercise is, is good for you. Apparently, they were right. Who knew? Right? So, some of you should try this and get sort of your own before-after transformation. I uh, said that I was going to run a couple of weeks ago. I said I would run in the 5K walk and run. And uh, some of you I know were doubtful because of all of my talk about how much I hate running. But I'm happy to, uh, to report to you that I have now uh, every single morning this week run five kilometers without stopping. Not fast, you know, I- I'm not winning any races, but it can be done the before and the after. Before, I wouldn't run to get in front of the, the old people at the buffet line, but now, you know, it's a lot different. 
So anyway, we can, we can see sort of before, after transformations. And today we're, gonna, we're in the final week of our series called Heroes and Villains. And we've been looking at some interesting characters over the last number of weeks and together learning lessons from each of their lives. Last week we talked about Barnabas the encourager and how each of us can learn to be encouragers as well if we will believe the best in others, if we'll live selflessly and, and then be led by the Holy Spirit. But today we want to look at another character from Scripture. We want to look at a before and after story. We're going to look at one of the most interesting and popular characters in the Bible who was both villain and hero. Today we're talking about Saul, who eventually became the Apostle Paul and wrote much of the New Testament. And we want to see him before and after so that we can know and identify the differences and learn together how to go from zero to hero, right? To go from villain to hero. Because the truth is this, Every single one of us, we, we struggle between those two. We have the ability or the potential to be either villain or hero. There's this pull. So what makes the difference? How do we manage the tensions that pull us in one direction or the other? And so I want us to look at a text together. I told you it's Romans chapter 8. This is actually something that Paul wrote after his conversion and his transformation from villain to hero. And it gives us some insight into how this transformation can take place. Look at Romans 8, beginning at verse 5. Go to verse 5 and just follow along with me as I read. It says, Paul writes, he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Paul talks here about really a a tug of war that goes on inside of us and what he describes is that it's the flesh and the Holy Spirit that are, that are sort of pulling us in two different directions. We are being pulled in two directions. And if we want to end up on the, on the winning side, on the hero side, we need, to, we need to allow one influence, that is the Spirit of God, to overcome the other, which is our flesh and our selfish motives and our desires. So looking at Saul and Paul's life, we can see Paul struggling to manage this tension in three areas or three spheres of of his own life. Tensions relating to his purpose, tensions relating to power, and then lastly, relating to, to popularity or, or you know, what, what is the popular choice? What is, what is sort of society's overall expectation? When it comes to Saul's purpose in life, I want us to just look at the tension for a moment. The tug of war between self and spirit, in this case, between a purpose that is self-determined or one that is spirit-directed. Self-determined or spirit-directed. Now remember last week, we sort of went into Saul's story just a little bit because we were talking about Barnabas. I told you that Saul was public enemy number one to the early church, and he was very committed. He was very committed to a purpose that was self-determined. I'm not sure what made him so passionate about this. Likely, though, it was his training as as a Pharisee and his commitment to protecting the Jewish faith, the way of Judaism, his self-determined purpose was to do so at all costs. That was his personal mission. And it was a a selfish one. All he could think 
was that a way of life, his way of life was being threatened, and so he took matters into his own hands. You see, he wanted to control outcomes. He wanted to squash the uprising of this new movement of of followers of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, we read in the first two verses that meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This was after this was after he looked on while Stephen was being stoned for no other reason than, than that he believed in Jesus. Saul was the one who watched the coats while others threw the stones, but he was equally complicit in their crime, giving assent to the murder of the first Christian martyr. But then something happened to Saul. We talked about this again a little bit last week. He had an encounter with Jesus. I told you that on his way, on his self-determined mission to Damascus, he's heading there on the road with these letters that he had requested from the government and, and the government officials that would allow him to imprison Christians. And on his way, he was knocked off his donkey by a bright light and a voice that spoke to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul had no context for this. It had never happened before. It would be like, you know, answering your cell phone when the caller ID is blocked, but you don't know who the person is on the other end. You think it's a wrong number, but the person seems to know you, and they seem to know what it is that you're all about. So Saul asked this question, kind of like, who is this? And the voice answered, it's Jesus. It's, I'm the one that you're persecuting. Oh, well, that's who it is. So, so up until now, Saul's purpose was very self-determined. He had everything under control. He knew the right people. He had the right friends. He had it all figured out. He was doing it his way. But now, now he had a decision to make. He had come face to face with Jesus, and Jesus was speaking to him. He said, it's me, it's Jesus, it's the one you're persecuting. So so then Jesus goes on in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, and he gives Saul a directive. He says, now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And we find that Saul listened to the Spirit's call. He, he did what Jesus instructed him to do. He went into the city. He waited to be told what to do next. And this was the, the moment in Saul's life when he realized that his purpose was bigger than himself. And he began in this moment submitting his own life and purposes to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's something you need to know. Even after you have said yes to Jesus, you will still struggle with the pull toward trying to determine your own way and your own purpose. Paul said as much in our text. We have to constantly determine whether to live according to our flesh or our own or, or whether to live according to the Spirit of God and what He desires. And it's this constant struggle, a constant tug of war, and we'll be given opportunities all the time to make the wrong decision. How many of you know this? We'll be given all kinds of opportunities to make the wrong decisions. Ask Jonah. Ask Jonah, the guy who was swallowed by a fish because he chose to go his own way and not the way the Spirit was leading him. Or or ask Demas, one of Paul's friends, who eventually deserted Paul and deserted faith in Jesus Christ because he loved the world too much. 
because he chose to self-determine his own life and purpose. Jonah, at least, you know, got his act together after the fish incident. Kind of has a way of getting your attention. But even Saul himself, later Paul would face these kinds of decisions. In Acts chapter 16, he and Timothy and some of his companions were on one of their missionary journeys and decided it would be a good idea to go to a place called Bithynia. But the story says that the Holy Spirit would not allow them to, wouldn't allow them to go. They had an idea of what would be good to do, but the Holy Spirit had other ideas. You ever have a good idea and then found out that maybe that's not the idea that God was having for you? This is what Paul was doing. Later that night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, saying, come over to Macedonia to help us. And so then in Acts chapter 16 and verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, it says, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul and his friends, they allowed the Holy Spirit to direct them to Macedonia. They had great success in their ministry there. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to lead us and to guide us and to direct our lives. What we need to do is we need to set aside our own self-determined purposes, our own agendas, and allow the Holy Spirit to do just that. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit, John 16 and verse 13. He said, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Before Saul met Jesus, his purpose was definitely self-determined. But after, after his life had been transformed by the Spirit, he allowed his life to be Spirit-directed before villain, after hero. The second sphere that we experience, this tug of war, is the sphere of, of power, of power. Who is the source of our strength? Who is the source of our power? Are we self-reliant or are we spirit-empowered? And this is the question. This is the pull. Before meeting Jesus, Paul was definitely self-reliant. His power came from his zeal to persecute and imprison these new Christians and also from his, his you know, connected friends in high places who gave him the letters and so on. He was wielding worldly power, relying on his own strength to get the job done. But after yielding his life to Jesus and committing to a new mission, things changed. Teaching in his letter to the Philippians, Paul talked about this whole idea of being self-reliant. He warned the Philippians about those who were trying to convince them that in order to follow Jesus, they needed to be circumcised like the Jews were. They needed to to do this thing in their own strength and power. And he told them, he said, don't put confidence in the flesh. Don't be reliant on outward things that, that you can do in your own strength, but rely on your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you look there in, in Philippians, it says, you know, you'll see that Paul spends some time listing the reasons that he had for being self-reliant. It's an impressive list. He said, you know, if you want to put confidence in the flesh, I more than anybody have got reason to do that. Look, I, I was circumcised on the eighth day, on the exact day that is in compliance with Jewish law. I was, you know, of the people of Israel. I was Jewish by birth. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And why is that significant? Well, it's one of the two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, that did not revolt with Jeroboam and the ten other tribes. One of the two that stayed, you know, maintained allegiance to God. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee. He was trained in Jewish law. I was a zealous persecutor of the church and a legalistic rule keeper. I was faultless when it came to keeping the rules. Paul said, if you want to talk about doing things in your own strength, 
I had that all figured out. But all of this was before he met Jesus. And Paul said, I've got all kinds of reasons to be self-reliant. I know what it means to try and do things in my own strength. I even had some success at it. But then he goes on and he talks about the after in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, Paul understood. He understood the difference between relying on his own strength and relying on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And it's important to understand something here. Paul wasn't saying that because of his faith in Christ that he had these things taken away from him. He was saying that it was a joy to lay these things aside for the incredible benefit that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. As a human race, our tendency is to rely or on or, or to highlight our personal achievements. Isn't that what we're about? I mean, why was Alexander called Alexander the Great anyway? It was because of his great conquests in war. Why is Wayne Gretzky called the Great One? It's because of his record as a prolific hockey player. Why do do we put our degrees and, and credentials on our business cards or on our letterhead? Because we want people to know what it is that we've achieved. But those are all things that we do in our own human strength. Our greatest strength today, our greatest strength comes in relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that achievements are worthless. It doesn't mean that, that what you can do, uh, you know, doesn't matter, your talent, your ability. What it means, though, is that when we submit those things, when we submit our strengths and our talents and our abilities to the Holy Spirit that because of his power working through us, because of his Holy Spirit anointing on our strengths and talents and our abilities, then we are able to do things that we could never do on our own if we were relying simply on our own strength. That's the difference between what we can do and what the Holy Spirit can do through us if we just give what we can do to him. Zechariah the prophet said in in chapter 4 and verse 6, it is not by might nor by power but it is by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God, says the Lord. The Holy Spirit, listen to this, the Holy Spirit makes us infinitely better than we actually are when we allow His power to work through us. You might be pretty awesome, pretty amazing, and have all kinds of talents and all kinds of gifts and all kinds of abilities, but I want you to know something. You'll never be as good as you can be than when you allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life. Look at the disciples before and the disciples after the Holy Spirit was given. Before they were compulsive and they were, you know, selfish and all over the map. They were fighting over who was first and who could sit at Jesus' right hand and whether or not, you know, the children should be allowed to see Jesus. They were thinking that Jesus needed their their help in order to defeat the Roman Empire by force. Just all kinds of crazy things that they had going on. They scattered when Jesus was arrested and Peter denied even knowing Jesus. They could hardly have been considered leaders before, but that was before. 
When Jesus had risen from the dead, he told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, but wait for the Holy Spirit, for the gift my, my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And Jesus went on to say, he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. You will receive power, not power for the sake of having power, but power to be witnesses about him. And when the Holy Spirit did come, when the Holy Spirit came, we see the most incredible, the most amazing transformation happen in the lives of the disciples. They immediately began to tell others about Jesus and about why he came, and, and the church of Jesus Christ was launched, a movement that has now spanned over 2,000 years and has grown to include some 2 billion people around the world today, not by might, it's not by power, but by the empowering of the Holy Spirit says the Lord. That's how this has happened. And it's a question that I have to ask myself constantly. Am I relying on my own strength to do the work of ministry? Am I, am I relying on my own strength or am I relying solely on the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit? And I've got to admit to you, sometimes it can become really easy to get into a groove where I know how to get things done. And I have some ability to do things well and, and my self-reliance can begin to win that tug of war. But that's when I need to be reminded that it's the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that will have lasting results. And that I am, I am extremely limited in what I can do in my own strength. I need the power of the Spirit and I need to rely on the Spirit to empower me for impact way beyond what I can normally do on my own. And that's what we all need to understand. It's easy to fall back. It's easy to fall back on your own strength, back to the before position. But when you find yourself being pulled back in that direction, look to the Holy Spirit for His strength and for His power. That's what we need to do. The last sphere that we can experience this tug of war between self and spirit is in, in the sphere of, of popularity. In the sphere of popularity, are we, are we self-serving or are we spirit-surrendered? Are we self-serving or are we spirit-surrendered? Before Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road, he was definitely self-serving. His, his life was all about him, about his mission, about his passion to persecute Christians, followers of Jesus, his way being the only way. He was, you know, the, the master of his own destiny and his life was serving his own agenda. His encounter with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit in Damascus changed all that. And his priorities changed as well. You see, all of what we have talked about so far, it hinges on this one thought. Paul didn't have to lose his identity, but he did have to change his priorities and surrender his life to the leading and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You see, it wasn't about him any longer or what people thought about him. Reputation and popularity weren't his priority anymore. The Holy Spirit was directing his new priorities because he had surrendered his life to him. You see, it's, it's easier. It's easier to be spirit-directed and to be spirit-empowered if we are totally and completely surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Have you experienced this struggle? Have you felt the tension of, of this tug of war between your reputation, people's expectations, the popular choice, versus surrendering your priorities to the priorities of God's kingdom? Have you felt the tension? Sure you have. Sure you have. If you're a follower of Jesus, you feel this all the time. 
Do I, do I work every waking moment and make all kinds of money so I can have status and wealth and be looked at you know, favorably by my colleagues and my neighbors? Or you know, do I simply work faithfully at my job and provide for my family and then, and then give of my time to, to serve in the church and to serve my community and to share Jesus' love, to see his kingdom grow? There's, there's sort of two fighting priorities. Do I cut corners and fudge the numbers on my taxes because that's what everybody else does? And that's what's expected. Or, you know, do I follow the Spirit's priority and file with integrity, even if it costs more? Do I take the job that pays less, but, but that I feel strongly the Holy Spirit is leading me to, to take in spite of, you know, lower pay? And do I trust God that He will take care of me and my family, even when others are telling me I shouldn't? Do I make those hard decisions that follow the Holy Spirit's leading and the Spirit's priorities for my life? even when it doesn't always make sense. You know, Paul got into a situation on his way back to Jerusalem for the last time. He was traveling back from Macedonia. On on his way past Ephesus, he stopped in a place called Miletus to meet with the elders of the church at Ephesus. It was an emotional time. The elders didn't want Paul to go. They were saying their goodbyes. And in Acts 20, verse 22 to 23, it says, Now, Paul's speaking to them. He says, now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Paul was directed by the Spirit toward Jerusalem, but at the very same time, he was warned by the Holy Spirit that prison and hardships await, and he didn't flinch. You know, the self-serving approach, the, the popular choice, would have been, would have, you know, heeded the Spirit's warning and not gone. It would, have, it would have been sort of self-preservation mode. But instead, Paul was surrendered to the Spirit and his direction, and he continued on toward Jerusalem, the Bible tells us. Further on his journey toward Jerusalem, he stopped in Caesarea at his friend Philip's house. And there, a prophet named Agabus came to see him. And through Agabus in Acts chapter 21, Paul was warned by the Holy Spirit a second time, but he still followed the leading of the Spirit to go on to Jerusalem at risk of harm to himself. You see, he surrendered to the Spirit's leading in spite of the Spirit's warning. The Spirit was preparing him for what was to come, but he was still leading him on to Jerusalem. He submitted to the Spirit in spite of potential harm to, him, to himself. And instead of acting in a self-serving way, Paul surrendered to the Spirit and went on to Jerusalem because in this area of popularity or popular choice, Paul was now living a Spirit-surrendered life. He was not pressured by what others thought or even by Agabus's prophecy because he knew that in spite of the warning, the Spirit still was leading him, directing him toward Jerusalem. Now remember... Early in our ministry, 1988, that's a while ago. I know I don't look that old, but Sharon and I were in transition. We were serving here in a church in Ontario as assistant pastors, that, uh, and, and the senior pastor had left, and we were in a situation where we knew change was coming. And we were praying about that change. We knew it had to happen, but we didn't know where we would end up. And I remember after talking to a few different churches, some here in Ontario and, and, and one in, in Nova Scotia, that we were offered a position in Halifax, Nova Scotia, 2,000 kilometers away from family and friends. We were 
newly married, just about a year married. We didn't know anyone in that city. We had no support system there. And Sharon's, her dad's health was, was very poor. He had suffered some, some heart trouble. He had had a, a stroke. It made much more sense for us to stay here in Ontario and, and wait for something else. That's what our friends thought. That's what our family thought. It's what we thought. It would have been the popular choice. It would have been the, the expected choice. And I remember, it was agonizing. We, we prayed, and as we prayed about it, you know, I, I felt in my heart a strong, strong sense that the Holy Spirit was, was leading us in that direction, that we were supposed to go. But I knew, I knew that with Sharon's family going through what they were going through, with her dad's health the way that it was, that this was not a decision that I could force. The Holy Spirit was going to have to speak to, to both of us. And so I waited and I prayed. And one night before we had to make our final decision, we hadn't slept a lot that night. I think Sharon's dad was, was actually in the hospital at that moment. And we were awake and we were talking and we were praying. It was probably around two in the morning. And I, I, remember, I remember Sharon saying to me through some tears that she was also feeling that the Holy Spirit was leading us to say yes. It was leading us to say yes, and, and if that was how that, that I felt too, that you know, we should do it. It was hard. It was hard. And so we did it. We, we said yes. Before we had even gone down and seen the place, we said yes. And, and later we traveled down to meet the church and the staff and, and some of the people before actually moving, and it was the worst week ever rained, poured rain. It was foggy. It was dismal. If you've been to the East Coast, you know that it can get like that. Not sometimes, a lot of times. And, and you know what? If we had not said yes already, that might have been the end of it. And I think the Holy Spirit knew that. That's why we said yes before, before we went to visit, because he knows what he's doing. The Holy Spirit always knows best. And so we stayed the course, and we, we packed up our things, and we gave tearful hugs goodbye to, to family, and we moved halfway across the country when it didn't really make sense to do so. But in the end, it was one of the best things that we ever did. Do you know something? We had, a, we had an amazing ministry there. God worked in our lives and in our, in our ministry in ways that, that you know, we, we had never seen. We, we made great friends. We made lifelong friends, actually. A couple in the church took us under their wing, and they treated us like their own kids. It was like we had another family there. And, and it was just such an incredible thing. And whenever Sharon needed to travel home and see her dad, you know, the church took care of all that. And, and it was just amazing the way that God blessed, the way that, the way that the Holy Spirit showed up. And we learned, we learned to depend on God and on each other because we had to, we had to, our family were so far away and we have a stronger marriage today because of that decision. We have a better ministry today because of that decision. Our, our son was born there. And when we look back on it now, it's an experience that we would not trade for anything. It's ironic, but to achieve heroic status in God's kingdom, you've got to surrender. You have to surrender. You have to give up control. You have to lay your life down. Jesus modeled the concept for us in Mark 10 and 45. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so I ask you three questions. Are you living for your own purposes? 
or allowing the Holy Spirit to direct your life? Are you relying on your own strength or asking the Holy Spirit to empower you? And are you making, you know, the the popular, the expected choice, or have you surrendered to what the Holy Spirit wants for your life? These are huge questions. And the secret to the answer is in the surrender. It's in the surrender. There's nothing that you can do in your own strength, no plan that you can manufacture, no direction that you can take that will make the difference. There's only a decision that you can make, and that is this. Will you surrender? Will you surrender your life to the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus today, God, we just invite you. We know that you're here already, but we invite you, God, to just Uh, take your finger, the finger of your Holy Spirit, and God, just work in our hearts in this moment. Lord, what we want to be able to say when we leave this place is that we're not the ones in control, but that you are. That, God, we have made a fresh dedication, a fresh decision, Lord, that we will lay down our lives and our agendas. And, God, we will allow your Holy Spirit, we will surrender to the work and to the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, I pray today for those who are in this room, maybe who've never said yes to Jesus, and they're, they're feeling, God, that tug of war that's happening in their hearts right in this moment. Lord, they're, they're feeling the pull towards self and doing things their own way, but also they're feeling the work of the Holy Spirit tugging them towards saying, you know what, it, it's time. It's time to say yes to Jesus. It's time to give God control of your life. And so, Lord, for those that are here today, I pray you help them just to, to say that simple little prayer and, and in this moment surrender their lives to the working of the Spirit in them and, God, to say yes to Jesus in this moment. And if that's you, I encourage you just right now, just say yes to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my heart. I need you in my life. I want to live. I want to live the way your Spirit wants me to live. And, God, for the rest of us, Lord, maybe we've served you for a long, long time. But we know that this struggle, this tug of war in our hearts and in our lives, it's real. And we need in a fresh way today to just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come. To invite you into, not this room, you're here today, but to invite you, God, to to come and make us so aware of your presence today. Lord, let us become just so aware of the palpable presence of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and in this room, and let us surrender again in a fresh way to what you want to do in our hearts and lives. We thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.